Well, good morning. Uh, today we're back in the series we've been doing in Genesis chapter 1, which we've entitled The Beginning, looking at the very first moments in creation. Today, the title of this sermon is Made Like God. Made Like God. We're looking at the beginning of humanity. These verses in Genesis chapter 1 are foundational for how we understand who God's made us to be as men and women in this world. Let's read together then from Genesis 1 verses 26 to 27 and I'm in the CSB version. So Genesis 1 26 to 27 says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for these verses. We thank you for this truth. My prayer today, Lord, is that you would help us to celebrate again the wonder of what you've done in creating us to be like you. And I pray, Lord, help us also to, to value that preciously. And also, Lord, would you make us ever more to be like yourself, King Jesus. Father, thank you. We will one day be like Jesus perfectly. Help us today uh, to aspire more to be like your son and to love others as you've loved us. Amen. Well, I'd like to start by asking uh, a series of questions to you, which is what I like to do at the beginning of most of my sermons. So let me ask you this. What would you say gives a person dignity? What is it that gives a person value and worth? Would you say that all people are equal in value and equal in worth? Do all people have dignity? And if so, on what basis? You see, I think if you were to ask the average person in the street those questions, they would reply, oh yes, of course. All people have equal worth, all people have equal dignity and a sense of equal value. But I wonder how many people would be able to give a reason for why that's true. I wonder what you would say. What would you say is the reason why all people have an equal sense of value and an equal sense of worth? Now, as you trace through the history of, of civilization, and as you look at some of those groundbreaking moments where people have made a stand for equality, you will find uh, behind the rhetoric is a case being made from these verses we've read in Genesis chapter 1. Whether you look at the abolitionists, those who, who sought to abolish slave trade, men like William Wilberforce, or whether you think of the civil rights movement in America led by Martin Luther King, or someone like Nelson Mandela, wherever you come across a case being made for justice on the basis of human dignity and worth, you will find over and over again an argument being made from these verses in Genesis 1 that all men are made in God's image, full stop. That the idea of human rights 
really is one steeped in a Judeo-Christian worldview. Or in other words, human rights lifts its definition really from the Bible. And if you read a history of humanity, you will find over and over again, it's, it's these words that bring definition and shape to our understanding of human rights. I have two brothers. One brother is a palliative care doctor. He's based in Birmingham and he spends his, his days caring for people in their final moments. Over this last year, he's been working primarily in ICU, caring for COVID patients in those very final moments of their life. My brother's life really is given to dignifying and caring for those in their final moments. I was speaking to him on, on Monday and he said last week was particularly tough and, and how one person spoke to him and his final words were, please tell my children I love them. I can't imagine how challenging a job like that must be. I find my brother inspiring as he seeks to care and love people in those final moments. My other brother is also brilliant. He is funny. He is caring. He loves to make people feel loved and people to feel valued. He is the most effusive member of his church's welcome team. If you go along to his church and he's on the welcome team, you will leave with a smile on your face. He is also an absolute inspiration to me. And he also has Down syndrome. Now, let me ask you, which of my two brothers has a sense of value and worth? Are my brothers equal in their sense of value and worth? The staggering reality is this, that 90% of women whose unborn babies are diagnosed with Down syndrome choose to have an abortion, which is legal right up until birth. You see, in our society, we seem to have established an ethic or a, a position whereby value and worth isn't just simply assumed for all people. That there are particular people who seem to have less worth and less value than others, it would appear. When I was seven, I had a letter published in a national newspaper. And it was in response to the ethics of aborting Down syndrome babies. And I simply wrote this. This is what I said. I love my brother with all my heart, and I could not imagine a world without him. 31 years later, and I stand by those words. What's written here is absolutely foundational to our understanding of the value and the dignity and the worth of every single person, irrespective of capacities, irrespective of their abilities, irrespective of their talents, irrespective of the contribution even that they make to their society. We go to Genesis 1 to find every single person is made in the image of God, and it is staggering. So I just want us to take a moment just to think about that initially. And please, if you've got your Bible to hand, would you open it? And I just want to quickly show you um, the, the pattern 
of God's creating words in the first chapter takes a sudden change in uh, verse 26. So you'll see this as I read it out, but if you've got your Bible open, I'd encourage you to read along with me. So verse three, God says, let there be light. And there was light. Verse six, God said, let there be an expanse between the waters. And it was so. Verse nine, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place. And it was so. Verse 11, then God said, let the earth produce vegetation. And it was so. Verse 14, then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky. Verse 20, then God said, let the waters swarm with living creatures. Verse 24, then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds. And it was so. And then verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Do you notice the change? We find this pattern of God speaking a command, commanding creation to place. Let there be, let there be, let there be. And it was so. This is what's happening throughout the first five days of creation. It's a command, but when we get to verse 26, it, it changes. All of a sudden, it seems like there's some kind of conversation happening. God said, let us make. This is an, an extraordinary transition. John Calvin picks up on this and says that God goes from command to consultation from command to consultation. It begs the question, doesn't it? Who is this us? Let us make man in our image. The language of plurality is here in the verse, in verse 26. Anyone who's approaching this text for the first time is, is, is surely asking, who's there with God? And, and who would God consult with when creating the universe? He's speaking to an animal. Seems unlikely. Now, what we have here are the very first indications, if you like, of the very nature of who God is. What we find here is God speaking to God. Now, this isn't just God talking to himself, as I might talk to myself when I'm walking along the street and no, thinking no one's looking at me. Now, this is God talking to himself because God, as we've already established in the very first sermon of this series, God is a plurality of persons. God is the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God is one, three persons. One God, three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And right in this very first moment of creating mankind, we find this Trinitarian, this moment of God within um, his very nature as Trinity is creating. Let us, it's the first signs, let us make man in our, our image. The first signs of this Trinity in the Bible. Augustine once famously said that the New Testament is in the old concealed. The Old Testament is in the new revealed. I love that. The New Testament is in the old concealed. The old is in the new revealed. 
we have something concealed here, but, but nevertheless truly here of who God is. And of course, the great revelation of who God is comes when Jesus enters the earth and shows us that, the, that God is the Father in that wonderful display of who God is. Let us make man in our image. You see, the creation of mankind is not the consequence of some random movements of molecules in a primordial soup. No, far from it. What we're reading here is a predetermined movement within God, a moment, if you like, of artistry, of design, of passion, of pre precision. This let us make this careful, considered, Trinitarian moment creating mankind in the image of God. And we're not to understand the image of God simply in bodily terms. To be in God's image doesn't just mean like eyes like God has eyes or hair like God has hair. Oh no, that's so not what's being said here. God is spirit. God takes on flesh as Christ comes, but God is spirit. So to be in his image we're not to think of it in corporeal, uh, kind of bodily, fleshly terms. There's something far more distinct and profound being spoken of here. There is something of God's nature, of something that, that's fundamental to who God is, that is being created in mankind, that is to be like him. And this really is the crescendo moment in creation. We've had five days up until this point. At the end of every day, God saw what he'd made and it was good. At the end of day six, having created man and woman in his image, we are told that God looked and saw and it was very good. It's a sense in which creation is building to this moment where he creates mankind and nothing else is given this designation. Nothing else in the creation is spoken of as being in his likeness. Being in his image, that's reserved for me and for you. Now, that is just staggering. I wonder if you've appreciated quite the, the, the power and the significance of this. I read this brilliant quote from uh, a guy called R. Kent Hughes, good name. He, uh, he's commenting on, on this passage of Scripture, and this is what he says. Though you could travel a hundred times the speed of light, past countless yellow-orange stars to the edge of the galaxy and swoop down to the fiery glow located a few hundred light-years below the plane of the Milky Way. Though you could slow to examine the host of hot young stars luminous among the gas and dust, though you could observe close up the protostars poised to burst forth from their dusty cocoons, though you could witness a star's birth in all your stellar journeys, you would never see anything equal to the birth and wonder of a human being. For a tiny baby girl or boy is the apex of God's creation. But the greatest wonder of all is that the child is created in the image of God, the Imago Dei. The child once was not. Now, as a created soul, he or she is eternal. 
he or she will exist forever. When the stars of the universe fade away, that soul shall still live. I just thought that was so powerful. Every person made in the image of God is an immortal soul created to be like God who lives forever. And in Genesis 1, that's what happens. Adam and Eve made like God, made with a soul, with a spirit. God is spirit. We are made with a, a spirit that can commune with God and relate to God and know God and, and walk with God. No other creature do we find, you know, God talks to. We find as the passage goes on, he speaks to Adam and Eve. He gives them a commission. He says, you go and bring dominion over the creation. And, and he, he speaks to them. He, he shows them the garden. He says, look, I've given you this. What a privilege it is for us to hear God speak to us. Do you know why you're created? You're created that you might glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's why you're made. That's why I'm made, that I might know God and enjoy him forever. The stars will fade away, but those who have been redeemed and saved and made right with God live forevermore, enjoying him. We are uniquely relational beings, created to know and to love God. These are Jesus' words. He says this, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John 17, verse 3. The Apostle Paul says this, I count all things as lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Philippians 3, 8. Jesus' words help us to capture what it, what it is to live, as it were, in the likeness of God. When he says this, you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then he says, and you're to love your neighbor as yourself. The two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your passion, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. As we do that, we are, as it were, imaging, reflecting who God is to the world around us. Now, of course, we know that we fail to do that miserably. And we know that there isn't equality worked out and applied across the world today. And there isn't even in this nation. And if, and if we are um, naive enough to think that we've cracked it, well, the church is falling well short of the responsibility I believe God puts upon us to declare truth and to call out injustice. The horrors of, of um, hate and racism and division, of people being mocked and looked down on for various disabilities, the challenge of the unborn not being protected in their mother's womb. The church has to speak out when we face matters of injustice sex trafficking, the abuse of women. These things we should care about. These things matter to us. Surely they matter to us. And we ask, well, what's gone wrong? Well, of course, Genesis chapter 3 tells us how everything went wrong. 
as man rejects God. So, so the implications of Genesis 3, is it that we're no longer in God's image? Well, that's not the case. We are following Genesis 3 and sin entering. We remain in the image of God. The image isn't destroyed, but as John Piper puts it, it is defaced. We kind of, I think as Augustine says, we're like a shriveled version of ourselves. And uh, the texts which support this are Genesis 9, 6, which says this, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. In other words, after the fall, humanity remains in the image of God, but it's a distorted image. James 3, verse 9 says, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. So all humanity is made in the likeness and the image of God, still, despite the effects of sin, which means that it matters how we relate to one another and what we say of one another. If you were in an art gallery and you were looking at a, a painting on a wall and you knew the artist of that painting was stood right next to you and your friend said, what do you think of that picture? I imagine that your choice of words are going to be somewhat affected by the fact that the artist is right there. You're not going to go, do you know what? That's possibly the worst picture I've ever seen. You're not going to abuse it because the artist is stood right next to you. As Christians, what we need to understand is this. God is the artist. And humanity, we are his work. We are his workmanship. So when you abuse a fellow human being... And you, and you are offensive and, and crass and crude and hateful in your language, God hears you. So we as Christians, we, you see, we, if we believe this to be true, that all man, all mankind is made in his image, then how you speak about one another matters to you. What you write on your Facebook page matters. What you write about another person, what you write about politicians matters these are men and women made in the image of god you should love and value them as made in the image of god knowing that god hears what i say and he reads what i write it's a broken image in a sense but nevertheless every person is in the image of god and and it's that value and it's that conviction that has driven Christians to campaign and seek for the equality of all people to be known and to be established in the lands. And we can look back on previous generations and applaud what they have done, but let us not neglect to take responsibility for the marginalized and the abused and the dehumanized in our society today. I wonder who comes to mind for you. I wonder who comes to mind when you think of that. So I just want to finish with this comment. So we thought about what it means for us to be made like God, relational, loving, in community, male and female. That's crucial, male and female, humanity made with difference and equality. Well, let's think now about what the gospel's doing which is this, we're being made like Christ. We're being made to be like Christ. The gospel message we are passionate about 
And it tells us how God has responded to the defaced image of God in humanity by stepping down, by Christ coming, taking on flesh and rescuing us. But if we want to know what does it look like to perfectly image God? What does it look like to perfectly reflect who God is? What does it look like in a world like this to live a life which perfectly reflects the image of God? Then what should, we should read the Gospels. We should read about the life of Jesus, who is the perfect example to us. It says this of him in Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. We learn from Jesus. We learn what it looks like to live in our lives expressing the truth that we're made in the image of God by looking to Jesus. We learn how he would validate and dignify the dehumanized of society. He did this for the physically disabled as he went to those who were blind, um, as he went to those who were lame, as he touched the leper. He did, these, did, did the same for those who were socially maligned and, and cast off the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sinners. He did it for those who were ethnically maligned. And when you think of the woman in John 4, the Samaritan woman, she was ethnically maligned because she was a Samaritan. She was morally maligned because she had multiple marriages. And she was maligned because of her gender. All three of those Jesus deals with. He crosses over those walls of hostility, those dividing walls. He, he validates her. He loved her. He showed her worth like no one had ever done before and transformed her. Jesus shows us what it looks like to be in the image of God. Compassionate, kind, merciful, loving. Jesus loved his father with all his heart and he loved his neighbor as he loved himself. He reached out and showed incredible kindness and mercy. And we are being changed into his image. This is what um, it says in Second uh, Corinthians. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are being transformed into the image of Christ. The Spirit has started that work in us. That image of God which was distorted by sin through the gospel is being restored surely and truly until ultimately it's perfected. He who starts a good work in us will bring it to completion, which is the day when we stand before him and we're perfectly like him. We have an opportunity today to be like Jesus and you will have that opportunity to image Christ to the world when you reach out to those who are cut off and maligned, when you show compassion, when you show mercy, when you stand up for the dehumanized in our world today, when you give a voice to those who have no voice, when you demonstrate in your heart, in your kindness, in your mercy, 
the same Christ-like attitude, that beautiful ministry of Jesus to restore those who are broken. It says this in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 49, and just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, that is Adam, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven, that is Christ Jesus. When, just as Jesus is glorified right now, one day we'll bear his image, we'll be without all sin, all malice, all hate, we'll be perfectly like him. My brothers are equal in value and worth. Both are in the image of God, able to love and to be loved, to care and to be cared for, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's true of them both, irrespective of their intellect, irrespective of their capacities, their capabilities and their achievements, irrespective of what the world might say of them. They are equal. We are equal because we have been made in the image of God and we're to love one another accordingly. And we're to know that what we will ultimately be, God is faithful to achieve. So we are his workmanship. He is the artist. Let us honour one another with our speech and with our language. Let us extend kindness and love and mercy to others. Let us prize and cherish the fact that we are made in God's image. And let us anticipate and look forward to that day when we are perfectly conformed to the image of his son. Father, I do thank you for these encouraging words we read in Genesis 1 for who you've made us to be. Thank you that we are in your likeness, made male and female made to reflect who God is and Lord I thank you through Christ and through his spirit working in us we are being conformed from one degree of glory to another increasingly to become like him we ask Lord please do that let us be a church that that shines and, sh and shows Christ to the world around us we ask this for his glory amen